and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership Podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, and I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weins, Senior Pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alumni, which means we spend a lot of time laughing, growing, and being transformed in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. Hey everybody, welcome to episode six. Today we're going to talk about spiritual rhythms in the life of a leader. And, you know, it occurs to me, Ruth, that Moses, I mean, anyone would say he was an amazing leader. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, But he got to a part or a point in his life when it just wasn't working all that well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pick us up in the story. This is an interesting part of the story because Jethro comes back in as sort of a, a voice of spiritual wisdom for him. And... It was clear that Moses' life in leadership was unworkable because he kept having to leave his family to go do what he was being called to do. So it says that Zipporah and his sons were living back with her father, and he kept going out to do leadership stuff with the children of Israel. And so what was going on in their family wasn't a good sign, and Jethro was the first person to really challenge his lifestyle. So when the Israelite journey brought them in closer proximity, he actually brought Zipporah and the boys back to Moses. And during that visit, Jethro, who was a priest in Midian, uh, an experienced spiritual leader, affirmed the fact that there was a great deal of evidence that God was at work in his life, but also challenged his lifestyle. And he looked at sort of the chaotic um, and exhausting life that Moses was living as a leader, and he said, what are you doing when you try to do everything? So he's uh, sitting alone, judging all the people from morning until night. So apparently he was the only judge. In addition to all of his leadership, he, he was the only judge as well. And he was doing it all, all by himself. And so Moses' answer, I think, sounds a whole lot like what some of us think sometimes, and that is we feel we're indispensable. (laughs) And he says, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I make known to them the statutes and instructions of God. So to me, there's a little bit of grandiosity going on here, and Moses feels like he's indispensable, that he's the only one who can do the work that he's doing. And so it highlights this subtle inner dynamic and inner temptation that we as leaders have, that we are the only ones who can bring bring it, you know, to the people. And that's exactly what Jethro is challenging. And he, Jethro doesn't even attempt to be diplomatic about it. He comes right out and he tells Moses, what you are doing is not good. So Moses has to take a look at his life. And Jethro even has some ideas. He tells Moses that he needs to surround himself with some other spiritual leaders who can also handle the bulk of the cases and set up the process for the Israelites where the on, only the most complicated cases come to Moses for judgment. Wow. Uh, so would you say that at this point, Moses is dangerously depleted in his life? Well, I don't know about that, but I do know that his family life is suffering, mm-hmm. and I do know we do know that he's leading a life that's not human, like the, the from morning to night. That that there are human elements of his life that are that are clearly missing. So probably he was dangerously tired, and I'm sure that having just that's Jethro witness his life and speak into it like that was a pretty humbling moment for him. So, what are the telltale signs of a dangerously depleted leader? Mm-hmm. Well. Sometimes there's an underlying irritability to their life. They're overly sensitive and brittle, if you will. Things that don't normally bother them sort of put them over the edge. And you can notice this in yourself. It's a very concrete thing you can observe. 
maybe someone cuts you off in traffic and rather than just being able to say, hey, let them go by. Instead, you know, we shoot them a finger or have a choice gesture or phrase that we want to offer to them. Um, maybe a child's mistake sends us into a screaming rage when typically we would have been able to be more patient. Or maybe a spouse or a coworker's irritating habit, which we can usually just take in our stride because we have patience and we love them. It begins to just grate on us. And so we begin to point it out all the time and just be real, really, really kind of mean. Um, maybe restlessness underneath the surface of our lives. We're sort of aware that we want to be in another life, that our life is no longer what we had hoped for. There's this awareness of being discouraged and uh, something not being quite right. When it is time to rest, maybe we struggle to actually rest. And so we find ourselves numbing out with escapist behaviors, things like that. Um, a compulsive overworking is also definitely a sign that someone is reaching dangerous levels of depletion. And of course, these days, the fact that we have our technologies means that our work is available to us 24-7. We can check our, our computers and our emails from anywhere. Many of us have our emails coming into our iPhones so that our work email is always with us. I personally have chosen not to put my email on my phone because I don't know how I wouldn't know how to control my connection to my work and to all the outside forces if Wait I a minute. you can do that yes you can <laughs> Mr. Steve Weens you know you can um, I think we all have got to figure out the boundaries you know what are going to be our boundaries with our technologies because this compulsiveness to work is now aided by technology so now we can check our email late into the night we can check it when we wake up and we're sleepless. We can do it first thing in the morning rather than spend any quiet time with God. And so one of the ways we can look at whether or not we're compulsive with our work is to look at how we're dealing with our technology because some of the natural boundaries are no longer there. Right. And many of us have not even really fully grappled with what technology is doing to us in terms of our spirituality and in terms of our connection with work. It could be that there's an emotional numbness that has begun to set in so that we don't allow ourselves to feel anything good or bad. And of course, in the short term, that can feel like it serves us really well because we don't have to take time to deal with ourselves, you know, ourselves or someone else and their emotion. But over time, we realize that we're not even experiencing life, that feeling joy and ecstasy and bliss and passion are important aspects of human living as well as feeling anger and grief and resentment and frustration and we're not like we're not like a piano where you can push down the black keys and not the white keys you either feel a full range of emotion or you only allow yourself a very narrow bandwidth so to look at emotional numbness and whether or not you're even experiencing life fully mm -hmm. these days um, we've we've referenced escapist behaviors and there are lots of those um, mindless television viewing uh, mindless eating, um, pornography for many men is an issue, fantasy novels and romance novels for women sometimes, um, spending, you know, over mm. overspending and using spending to sort of numb ourselves out. Those are all ways that we can escape. And of course, escapist behaviors are a vicious cycle because they don't give you any good energy. Nobody says at the end of an evening of watching <laughs> mindless television, I'm so glad I did that. I feel great now. You know, no one feels that way because escapist behavior just drains you even more. And of course, then you're not choosing life-giving activities like playing with your children or getting out and playing a game of football or doing something active or calling your best friend that you haven't talked to for a long time or, you know, doing your art or whatever it is that gives you life. Your escapist behavior just sucks up your time and you're not doing what would give you life. So there's kind of a vicious cycle in all of that. 
when we become disconnected from our calling and our identity in God and we just feel pulled and pushed and like we're just reacting and people's expectations are, you know, pulling us, but we're not in touch with what God is uniquely calling us to do. Maybe we're not able to attend to our human needs. Hmm. You know, so those things that have to do with caring for our homes or caring for cars or going to the dry cleaner or going shopping or getting our medical appointments taken care of, um, you know, eating well. And, you know, all of those sorts of things are just part of being human. And being a good spiritual person means being a good human being and caring for the humanity that God has created us with. So we can watch the, watch for that and even look at our human relationships and whether or not, like, you know, Moses's deal was that he wasn't with his family enough. So if we're shortchanging our human relationships, that's a sign that we're probably depleted because we were created for these intimate relationships. Some of us find ourselves hoarding energy. And that means that we um, sort of have put a wall up with ourselves because we don't think we can handle that last you know, a little bit of an interchange that's going to take our our last little bit of energy. So there's lots of ways that we can observe whether or not we are in dangerous levels of depletion. And it's part of our leadership to learn how to pay attention to that. So Ruth, you work with pastors all the time. You travel all over the place. How do you think we're doing at creating sane rhythms of, of work and rest? Well, the truth is everywhere I go, it doesn't matter if it's a small church, a large church, um, Christian organizations, everywhere I go, leaders are struggling and wrestling with this issue of dangerous levels of completion and pace of life issues. I think there was a time when there was this promise that computers would bring us a four-day work week or something like that. Well, when was the last time you saw a four-day work week? We never saw a four-day work week. Now we see seven-day work weeks, and that's what we're struggling against. And we are not living as, as human beings. And so I think it's kind of a it can be kind of a toxic mix when you have driven leader type people who are now spiritualizing what they're doing for God in their work. And so now there's not only the workaholism or the you know, that performance oriented drivenness, but now people can spiritualize it and say, right. I'm doing it for God and there's so much need and I need to be Jesus to everyone. And so you mix those two things together and there's just no end to how hard people are working and to the unboundaried existence that they're living. So it is, it's very sobering and technology has not helped. Technology has created a world where we are we are working all the time and very little time for true replenishment, the deeper kind of replenishment that comes from a full day off without being connected, you know, or a vacation. You know, now people are connected to their work during their vacations. And so we're not even getting a full break when we say we're on vacation. It's a pretty dangerous situation that we're in. So how do we get sane again? Mm-hmm. What do we what do we yeah. do? Well, first of all, and you heard me allude to this in the last episode, we have got to get in touch with our desire for a way of life that works. And we've got to want that more than we want other things. So for me, I have to want this saner lifestyle. I have to want my life here, you know, with my family, with my writing, with the people that God's given me in community with here in the Transforming Center. I have to want that more than I want whatever it is that I get when I go out and do the speaking and stuff, you know? So I have to drop down deeper Mm -hmm. and say, what is it that I really want? That is the only thing that's going to give us the courage and the ability to change anything. It's not going to come because somebody on a podcast said you should, you know? (laughs) 
<laughs> or you made some great New Year's That's resolution right. exactly. to do it. Exactly. It's going to come because you're in touch with what you really want. And then you're willing to be intentional. You're willing to allow that desire to deepen into intentionality. And then you're willing to order your life around what it is that you say you really want. And that is a challenge because you're going to drop down below ego. You're going to drop down below uh, that kind of drivenness that comes from the need for love and approval and all that. And you're going to drop down to that deeper place that, that where the soul knows what it knows. And for many of us, what we all know is we are longing for a way of life that works better than what we're living. So when you get in touch with the longing and you actually pay attention mm -hmm. enough to know it's an invitation from God right. to start to develop some sane rhythms, mm -hmm. uh, what, what kinds of spiritual rhythms do you think every Christian leader needs mm -hmm. in order to learn to live with a strengthened soul? Well, there are some basics, and we've been talking about solitude and silence, and I just feel like that's like bottom line. Yep. You, you know, we've got to have that in our lives, and both the shorter times that we have daily, but also the extended times of solitude that come in and through retreat. So some, you know, at least once a year, if not, you know, once every six months or once a quarter to have at least a nine to four day or a night and a day to be away in God's presence. I think that's a bare minimum for people in leadership. Um and then within that, then, you know, our, our prayer life has a chance to flourish. We're actually cultivating intimacy and cultivating friendship with God. Um, God can use scripture in our lives in a more impactful way when we're quieter. And I think practices like following a lectionary so that we don't have to even work hard to find where we're going to be in the scripture on that day can actually be really uh, beneficial. Um, in the Transforming Center, we offer people a book called A Guide to Prayer and that that's put out there's several versions of it that are put out by the upper room and many of us experience using those guides to prayer as being a re very restful way to stay connected with God and to stay in a rhythm because somebody else has done the work of bringing the scriptures together and giving us a little pattern for our worship and things like that. So I highly recommend a tool like that because there's still a lot of space for God even though some of the work has been done for you. Um, we've talked also about uh, the practice of self-examination, a daily practice of saying, God, you know, where where did, where did, was I like you? Where are you doing the work of transformation in my life? Let's celebrate that. God, where did I fall short of Christ-likeness in my life? What do you want to say to me about that? I think another practice that we rarely think of as being um, an important spiritual practice is the practice of caring for the body and honoring mm, the body as a yes. spiritual discipline. So what are we doing with these bodies that God has given to us? Are we pushing them too hard? Are we eating well? Are we drinking enough water? Are we um, exercising? How are we doing at caring for this great gift that we have of life and a body? Sabbath keeping is just the kingpin, the linchpin of any life that's being lived well in God. And Sabbath is a gift, according to Scripture. And so for us to establish working six days and resting on the seventh is key for Christian leaders. And more challenging, though, for people who are in pastoral ministry in particular, because oftentimes Sunday, which is the day that other people ha can have off, Sunday's a work day for pastors, and so there has to be some creativity for pastors. We, I think we've talked about that already in, in, a, few, in a recent episode. So um, those are all rhythms that I think are, are pretty essential, basic, essential, really can't do without them. Um, and then we've talked about discernment too, having this rhythm in our life and ministry of discerning and doing the will of God, because that practice will also keep us doing the things that we're called to do and able to say no to the things that would put us over the edge. I want to say a couple things right now, and that is if you have not listened to season one, mm -hmm of this podcast. It's all about the kind of rhythms, you know, piece by piece by piece. So uh, the show notes will uh, give you some links to that season one. 
But also, it, I, I want to ask you a question, Ruth, and it's a little bit of a leading question. Mm-hmm. But if a leader says, okay, I, I don't do any of those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And yes, yes. But I want to be honest, mm-hmm. naming it is, the, is one of the best ways to just start the journey. Uh, so I want to start with solitude and silence. So I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to set a timer for 10 minutes and I'm going to sit there. What should I expect? I'm just starting out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think what you can expect at first is probably that it's going to pe- feel kind of chaotic. Um, <laughs> you're going to wonder what you're doing there. You're going to ha- be distracted by many thoughts that are going to come in. You're going to want to get up and go answer an email or, you know, do whatever it is that you think needs to be done on that day. So expect to be distracted. Expect it to be a little tough. But if you can stick with it, you're going to start looking forward to those moments of just being open and receptive in God's presence. So you wait through the chaos. The jar of river water settles. Um, You can finally experience more of the presence of God and you experience peace settling over your soul. You start to have a place to bring the stuff that's bothering you. And rather than trying to fix it, you just sit there openly with it in God's presence and you let God love you. And maybe God brings you some insight and wisdom, or maybe it was just enough to know that somebody was with you um, in that particular difficulty. And over time, real wisdom does come, and we find ourselves moving more in response to the moving of the Holy Spirit than in our own intellectual striving and trying to figure stuff out. So solitude can really be cultivated and should be cultivated in the beginning as just simply a place of rest in God. And do you think it's worth mentioning that maybe resist the temptation to feel like something transcendent has to happen every time or Mm -hmm. else it's a complete waste of time. I think when we come to it with that expectation, Mm -hmm. like imagine a date with your spouse or your significant other and and the pressure that you Mm -hmm. would feel if that has to be the greatest date ever. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But so, right? Yeah, Um, Mm -hmm. exactly. And also solitude and silence by definition are practices that enable us to give up control to God. So if nothing transcendent happens, then you say, well, that must have been what God wanted for me today. And I'm not going to argue with it. I'm going to trust that I've got a God who knows what's best for me. And today, this is what was best. Move on. I want to ask another question about mm-hmm. uh, the rhythm of prayer because I run into a lot of people in their 40s and even 50s, and they'll say things like to me like, "I've always had a rich prayer life, but lately I've mm-hmm. it's like I've forgotten how to pray. It's like yeah. I don't the words don't come to me like they mm-hmm. used to, and they feel like they're failing yeah. rather than graduating." Mm-hmm. So can you say something about how our prayer really does change over time and? Um, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, people are discouraged when that happens. But my sense is, and my understanding of the spiritual journey is that when words do start to fail, that actually symbolizes a great movement in the spiritual life where you're moving from reliance on words in your prayer, which is communication, to a place of deeper communion with God that doesn't require so many words. Um, and if they are words, there are, they are few words that maybe form a breath prayer that you pray at from the guts of yourself, um, and you pray it rhythmically with your breathing. So I actually tell people to be encouraged when words start to fail, because it means that God is inviting you into that beyond words kind of intimacy that's different and even more satisfying than intimacy that relies on words so much. And if you're someone that is not in the tradition that uses written prayers... Mm-hmm. Use some yes, written prayers. Right. There are some beautiful yeah, written prayers. Yeah, prayer books. Prayer yeah. books, the Book mm-hmm. of Common Prayer. That was one of the most, one of the richest things about my experience in the transforming community mm-hmm. was the fixed hour prayer yeah. that we mm-hmm. did. And when people hear that and you don't know what that is, 
we're just going through a series of written out prayers, call and response. And it feels so restful to not have to come up with the words. Right. And fixed hour prayer is the practice of praying at fixed hours of the day. And you can do that in many different ways. We choose to do it liturgically in the Transforming Center. So when you're talking about written, a prayer service with written prayers, you're talking about a liturgical style prayer service. And one of the benefits of using uh, prayers that have already been developed for you is that you can actually rest in prayer. And the good the, the, the good prayer books, they're using either the prayers of the church or the prayers that we find in scripture. So you can trust the prayers as being good prayers for Christian people to pray. Even the prayers that we've been using, you know, at the end of our um, podcast episodes, hopefully even prayers like that are helpful to to help us say something to God that we we kind of know we want to say, but we don't have to wrestle so hard to find the words. Can I ask a question about the body? Because mm-hmm. this is one of these things that, mm-hmm. that so few of us do well. I remember reading an interview with Bono, mm-hmm. and uh, Bono said that The Edge told him one time, uh, you treat your body as, a, mm-hmm. as, as if it's an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, at age 57, yes. he's starting to believe that maybe he does. Yes. And so he has to have diff- different rhythms. How do we begin to treat our bodies as, um, um, how do we care for them in a way that's spiritual? Yeah. Well, you listen to them for one thing. So like Bono, um, when your body starts to say different things to you, you listen and you respect it by listening. I mean, listening is one of the ways we show love and respect to another person is by listening. So I think even to listen, listening to what the body is saying to you is a, is a very respectful thing to do just to care for the body as the great gift that it is. Like I think about um, someone who really loves cars and has an antique car. And um, we have a neighbor who has an antique car and he's just always out there. Babying Yeah, it. polishing it and all of that. And he's just so proud of it. And I think, why aren't we that way with the body? Why aren't we caring for it? Because it's a prized possession. Um, it's a prized gift that we've been given. How do we care for a gift that we've been given? We care for it and make sure that it's, you know, at its best, whatever, at whatever mm. stage. So those are a couple of things that we can do to really um, honor the body as a spiritual practice. Yeah, we're sleeping. We're, mm-hmm. I actually had a conversation with someone that's caring for me medically. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I feel defective because I feel like I want to nap mm. most days. Yeah. And when I can lay down and take yeah. a nap, I'll, I'll take a yeah. nap. And I'll, what I'll is nap, nap time for... today, Steve, by the way? Do we have a nap <laughs> no, scheduled into our schedule? No <laughs> we think we were, I know, that's why we're so tired. No naps. <laughs> but one season, remember, I did. I mm-hmm. said, hey, we're, yeah, we're going to yeah. pause. Um, mm-hmm. What he said to me was so powerful. Mm-hmm. He goes, you have, he goes, really, the way I look at it, you have two options. He goes, do you drink coffee? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. He goes, and I thought he was going to say, well, don't drink coffee. He mm-hmm. goes, well, you can drink more coffee, mm-hmm. but twinkle in his eye. Mm-hmm. He goes, or you could just embrace the fact that you're a creative person mm-hmm. and your brain probably needs to shut down yeah. about mm-hmm. once a day. And that's you like, you could yeah, embrace. It's like a reboot. Yes. You're going to reboot. And it wasn't like that thought had never entered my mind, mm-hmm. but there was something about the permission yeah. from a caregiver mm-hmm. that, that says, oh, instead of looking at it as a deficiency, something that's wrong with me, yeah. that I need to take a nap, mm-hmm. what about embracing it? Yeah. So, so any day that I can, yeah. I, I take a nap, mm-hmm. uh, which reminds me of your yes, beautiful story. Yes, the director when, of naps director is very naps. pleased with you on that one, Steve. So, okay, last question about spiritual rhythms in the life of a leader. 
When we talk about Sabbath, I think there's so much confusion about what that really is. Is it a day of hedonism? Is it a day to sleep all day? Is it a day alone? Uh, can you talk a little bit about really the spiritual rhythm of Sabbath? Yeah, Sabbath honors the fact that we are creatures, that we were not created by God to, to go 24-7, uh, seven days a week. We were created to work six days and rest on the seventh, and our God who made us knows what's best for us. So it's a hard pill to swallow because it helps us to face into our limitations. Those of us who aren't willing to face into our limitations thumb our noses at the Sabbath because we say, you know, I should be able, I should be able to press on through. I should be strong enough. Um, and yet... God has invited us into sane rhythms of work and rest that include Sabbath keeping. And I don't personally think you have to be too rigid about Sabbath keeping, but you do need to know what takes you into work mode and what takes you out of resting mode. And so that can be a discernment for all of us. But the focus of Sabbath keeping is threefold, um, rest, worship, and delight. Now, sometimes I have to have some rest before I can delight or worship. Have you ever had that experience oh. where you're so tired you can't delight in anything? Oh. Even the really good things of your life, you're too tired to delight. So for me, actually, it needs to start with resting, then I can delight in God's good gifts, and then worship kind of emerges out of that. So um, whatever you do on the Sabbath should fit into those three categories. And so I think we need to be really careful. So for me, opening up my computer is takes me into work it opens me up to whatever anyone else out there has sent me and i get caught up in it and so for me um what's really important is to not be on computer at all um, on the sabbath so i think uh, a good thing for a leader to do who is doing none of those well is to pick something and and right do do something mm -hmm. before you do, you do everything mm -hmm. and i think you would say start with silence and solitude yeah. mm -hmm. because um out of solitude and silence your desire and your capacity for everything else begins to grow and i had to practice solitude and silence for a long time and have a great deal of faith in that before i had the courage and the gumption to do what sabbath keeping would require in my life but but after I'd practiced solitude and silence substantially for a good long time, I realized uh, I was in touch with my tiredness and I realized, oh, this is really, really good. So the Sabbath, you know, I, I now know how to disconnect. I've been practicing this and it made it easier actually to begin incorporating Sabbath into my life. Thank you, Ruth. Uh, I would love it if you would lead us in mm. prayer as we close out this episode. Well, again, today we have a poem and we're going to talk about or we're going to hear about Sabbath in late fall. Sometimes on the Sabbath, all you can do is settle into the soft body of yourself and listen to what it says. Listen to the exhaustion that is deeper than tiredness, the hunger that is for more than food, the thirst that is for more than drink, the longing for comfort that is more than physical. On the Sabbath, body and soul reach out for time of a different sort, time that is full of space rather than activity, time to watch the burning bush in your own backyard, the movement of the wind among bare branches, the last leaf clinging to the branch before its final letting go. Letting go is hard, letting go of that which no longer works, that which no longer brings joy and meaning that which is no longer full of life.
It seems cruel that something that used to be so beautiful should fall to the ground, sinking into the earthy mud, along with everything else that is dying, no longer recognizable for what it used to be. It seems cruel, but it is the way of things. One generation gives its life for the next. One season slips away so another can come. One crop of fruit falls from the tree so that more can be born. One wave recedes while another gathers strength to crash upon the shore. It seems cruel, but it is the rhythm of things, and rhythm has its own beauty. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening and being a part of our conversation today. As part of the launch of the expanded edition of Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, we're offering some special bonuses when you purchase the book. So if you'd like to take advantage of that, just visit us at transformingcenter.org for details. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would love to know. Please leave us a comment wherever you listen to the podcast and subscribe so that you will automatically receive upcoming episodes. 